Hey everyone, we hope you're having a great week. My name is Eric Johnson, and along with my wife Candace, we are the lead pastors of Studio. We are based in Greenville, South Carolina, and we just want to take a moment and say hello and say thanks for listening to this podcast. So with that, let's get right to it. All right. Yeah, I spent most of this week in a U-Haul with my future son-in-law. And it's great to be in confined spaces for long periods of time. And uh, we talked about a lot of things, didn't we, Mark? No. No, it was great. Actually, the highlight of the week was obviously spending time with Mark, but we, we got into this kick of sunflower seeds. And if you've never driven a U-Haul, there's really only a couple places you can go at stop where the trucks stop because there's just such a large truck and trailer. And so we just went to all the truck stops and it's just so much easier to navigate filling up and all that. So we went in and we noticed there's a lot of options on sunflower seeds. So I grew up playing baseball. They didn't have flavors back then. They had the salt flavor. That was it. So, I mean, they had bacon, mac and cheese sunflower seeds. I couldn't get myself to buy it. Like, that was a line for me. Did anybody actually have that and enjoy it? Did anybody? Okay, that's why I didn't buy it, because nobody else would. <laughs> but we had dill pickle. We had um, hot chili and lime, which was great. What, we had sweet and sour. No, sweet and hot. What was the, be- what was the best one? Takis. How many know Takis? Okay, that, was, that one and cracked pepper kind of fought for the top position. So we, we had seven bags of different sunflower seeds. And over the course of three days, we, we ate way too much sodium. I mean, so much salt. And then we ranked them and we, we came out with the winner between Takis and cracked pepper, wasn't it? So anyway, we had a great time and um, we are just glad to be home. That's the second time I've driven across the country in the last two years. Uh, last time was incredibly stressful. We left everything we knew and we're moving to a brand new city. This time it was so much easier. I had no stress. I'm just, let's just have fun and, and bringing family with us. And so, but it's good to be back. We got home about two in the morning on Wednesday or Thursday morning, I should say. And it was, it was wonderful to be home back in Greenville. And I'm glad I missed you guys. You didn't miss me, but I missed you. That was the worst response. Like, I'm never sharing my feelings again with you. I missed you guys. Thank you. That felt so authentic and so, so genuine and so fake. So I'm kidding. You weren't prepared. I, I get it. You weren't prepared. All right, well, let's jump in. If you want to get your Bibles open, it will be a little while before we get there, but if you are an overachiever and you like to plan your life out, I'm helping you today. Go to the, go to the New Testament. <laughs> I feel like messing with you because you didn't miss me, so I'm going to mess with you now. No, I'm kidding. Go to the book of Galatians. We're going to get to there in a little bit here, but uh, I want to do a little bit of an on-ramp before we get to the book of Galatians today. I want to, um, you know, people ask me often, what, what are your greatest challenges or what is a great challenge and what is your greatest joy in doing what you do? And they're usually referring to being a pastor or doing what I do. And over the years, it's been different things over the years. My challenges would be one thing and my joys would be something else. 
But recently, um, my answer is now the same. My thing that brings me the most joy is also the thing that creates the biggest challenge. And I've been doing this for 25 years, and Candace and I, we pastored a small church. We pastored a very large church, and now we planted a church. And so I, I think it's safe to say we've, we've experienced the spectrums of church in a pretty broad stroke in 25 years. We, and just from the size to the depth, the focus, the emphasis, uh, the essence, if you will, of each of those churches. And I have found that um, I, I'm in this incredible place of tension. Uh, this, this, my greatest challenge and my greatest joy are actually the exact same thing. And, and it, it comes down to this. It comes down to I have a deep heart to see people fall in love with Jesus, to pastor people, to see them be taught well, to be equipped, to do life, but not just to do life, but to actually change the world and see Jesus come and manifest in everyday life, in our personal lives and the lives around us. Uh, I long to see people that believe that the beauty of God can be displayed on earth and that the goal isn't to get to heaven, the goal is to get heaven to come here. So I, I, I long for that. It is something that is so deeply embedded in me. And at the same time, on the other side of the spectrum, I, I long to be a voice, to be a place for people that have no construct of God. They have no framework for spirituality. They have no idea that there's something transcendent. And these are huge tensions. And to be honest with you, to be frank with you, it keeps me up at night. Some nights I don't go to sleep quick. It's a long night. And honestly, I get woken up at night because of this tension. I will wake up in sweat because of this tension between wanting to see the people that already have said yes to Jesus grow in their faith, to go deeper in the things of God, to walk in all that God has for you in entirety of the scripture, to be people that are just passionate about pure hearts and living a sacred life in today's context. And on the other side, there, there's a whole nother tension. It's almost the opposite focus to become a place for people that have no concept of this, no framework of this. And it, what keeps me up at night, and, and I'm not making this up, I wake up in sweat trying to figure out how do we do this well. And I don't want to be the only one that has this tension today. I'm actually praying that your sleep is disrupted. Not to get lack of sleep, but so that it matters to you. That you actually care not just about people that believe in the same thing as you. And that's important. I will never diminish that. I will never push that down. I will never disregard that. Because as a church, one of our main responsibilities is to go farther together as we follow Jesus. But I have this tension. And this tension, it consumes me. It, it, it um, literally consumes me. I, it's grueling about thinking about, can I describe it differently? Can I describe Jesus without the framework that we're all used to? 
Can I describe my faith in such a way for someone that doesn't even know what trust is? See, oftentimes we want people to put their faith in something, but trust is non-existent in their soul. I spend hours every day thinking about every word that comes out of my mouth. I think about hours every day about every decision that I make for us and for my life. How can we hold this tension well? I think there are a series of questions that come to my mind. One of, them, one of them is this. What are the assumptions in what I say? If I say this, I'm already assuming something. Who will this not make sense to? Who will grasp it and who will be completely confused? Will it invite or will it push away? Can it be said or done differently? Can I describe my faith without a terminology that only Christians embrace? And the list goes on and on, but those are just a few that I jotted down. So this tension is, is real, it's palpable. It's, and my goal in every talk that I give from this space, in fact, anywhere, I've, I don't say this in an arrogant way, but I've turned down so many invitations to speak. One main reason is I want to be here. I don't want to be anywhere else. Unless I'm driving a U-Haul. That's a different story. <laughs> and we got trips here and there, but we've spaced them out on purpose because this is where our heart is. But in every talk I give, I want to create layers and dimensions in everything that comes out of my mouth. And I know there's a longing for black and white. I know there's a longing for just, just say it the way it is. True. I can do that. That's easy. Super easy. But I really have a passion to create layers and dimensions and colors on every talk I give and every decision that I make because I long to see all of humanity experience Jesus. And some, you know, it's actually not complicated. And I, some people make this, Eric, you're making it too complicated. No, it's really the mission of Jesus. You know, the currency of the world today is to divide and separate. That's the currency. And I don't want to do that. I want to be continually open doors for people to come closer. I want to be a space. I want it to be a community of people that always have doors open in our lives. That we don't become a closed door church. Maybe that's why we don't have doors yet. Maybe we should put that money somewhere else. I don't know. Now, maybe there's something to that. I don't know. I don't know. I got distracted. You know, ever since we planted the church, I've had so many people tell me, you're not liberal enough. And I've had a lot of people tell me, you're not conservative enough. We've actually said something else, but I'll just, that, I'm being kind. I have to admit, I love this tension. I love this tension that it creates in me and it creates in us. I think that's why we can sit here today and say, there's actually people in this room that think opposite of me. That feel differently about things than me. And I'm proud of that. I, I want that. That's what we're building. We're not building a no-truth environment. We're inviting people to the truth. Yeah. Yeah. 
it would be so much easier not to have this tension and just only focus on the ones that follow Jesus or only focus on the ones that have no framework of God in their life. But as we look on society today, uh, the idea of God has been completely decentralized. So the question emerges, what compels me to this? It's really simple for me. It's the mission of Jesus. I, I cannot look at his life and not see that he was touching everyone. He was touching everyone from the most elite to the most non-elite of society. You're touching everyone from every political, religious, human experience spectrum known to man in that moment, Jesus was touching them all. That's what compels me. And as we look at the life of Jesus, as we look at his journey, we look at his teaching, he introduces us to a concept. He introduces us to an idea. There's another dimension that can be invited into this dimension. There's another reality that you can embrace. You can either choose to live within the reality that you live in, in the physical and the natural, or you can actually embrace another dimension that wants here. And this is what Jesus spent his life teaching and explaining to us. It's this freedom in God. It's this freedom that we find in the life of Christ. You know, it's quite remarkable to look at creation and, and see the hand of God in it all. Because of the advancement of technology and science and all of that, we're able to know more about the universe than we'd ever known it. The recent telescope has revealed pictures of galaxies that we didn't know existed. We knew something was out there, but not that much. And, and even in the expanse of the universe, even in the expanse of creation, there's one thing God still didn't choose to own. And that just blows my mind. I don't know about you, to have that much power to create everything in existence. And he decided to withhold himself in one area and say, I'm not going to decide that. Which is remarkable. I, don't, I can't say I would do the same. If I was as powerful as God, I would control 100% of everything. And I think you all would agree with me, like, oh, yeah, put me in charge. Everything's going to be perfect. That's how we humans think. And if it's not you, it's someone else. And this is why we, it's why cults are formed, because we think that person can solve everything in life. This is how we're wired. But God decided in the, in the spectrum of creation in the universe, he decided not to control one thing. You know what that one thing is? He doesn't own it. It's your choice. It's your ability to choose. He decided not to own that. He decided to make you a human being that had the power to choose. Which to me is remarkable. Which puts a whole lot of responsibility on each of us. He, he gave us the ability to choose between love and hate. He gave us the ability to choose between life or death. He, he gave us the ability to choose to be patient or to be not patient. Like he put that within us. He put that within us to choose to be kind or not be kind. He put within us the ability to have self-control or have no control. 
I don't know about you, but I, I'm still and continually am blown away by the reality that God had given us the choice to choose. And he could have written it. I know every parent of every two-year-old wished that wasn't the case. <laughs> like, I wish I could decide when my child gets to choose. And we would all pick never. <laughs> this is why arranged marriages are really a good idea. And it's the worst idea in some regard. What's my point? God chose to let us choose. And this brings up a lot of other issues and things that we need to wrestle with. I wonder how many of us are still blaming something or someone for how our life is. When yet you have within you the very ability to choose. I understand their dynamics spiritually. We don't understand. I understand that. I, I've been around long enough to know that. And I don't want to be naive or diminish or disregard. But at the end of the day, it's still your choice. There may be extra forces at play in your life. I'll say that. There may be things coming at you that you can't control. And that's true. But you still get to choose what you do when they're coming at you. Now, the issue for you, like, how come they don't have to navigate the things that I'm having to navigate? That's a mystery. There's a whole lot of layers to that conversation that cannot be concluded in one talk on a Sunday. But what can be concluded today is this. You still have a choice. You still have a choice in how you respond to life. You still have a choice of how you want to respond the circumstances that are coming at you that are currently existing in your life now. I love how Chad just shared a really simple story, and it was fun to watch them and be a part of it in a very small way. They, they chose to continue to be genuine when everything was disappearing. That's powerful. I want all of you to take somewhat of an assessment where in your life have you been putting the blame or responsibility on someone or something else for the condition that your life is in right now? Maybe today is the time to take stock of that. Say, you know what? It's been a while. I'm still talking about it. I'm still hashing it out. I'm still thinking about it. I'm still trying to unravel the confusion and chaos around that. And I always seem to end up with, it's their fault. Instead of saying, you know what? It's time for me to literally move on and choose something else. See, when you choose God, you, you choose freedom, you choose life, and you choose a king. And this is, this is actually rather complex today because we're so used to being our own king. We have been conditioned by culture and society that it's actually up to us. And specifically Western context, we, the idea of a monarchy, the idea of a king and a queen is very foreign to us in a Western context. We have leaders, we have all kinds of other definitions of leaders, but the idea that I, I submit my life to a king is, is something that we've lost the art of. So when you say yes to Jesus, you are submitting everything to King Jesus. 
and you're choosing life and freedom, it does not mean that everything gets ironed out. Have you ever noticed, for those of you that have said yes to Jesus, things still were challenging? Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of you thought saying yes to Jesus would fix it all? Yeah, exactly. We all thought that to some degree. And so we live this life of full submission and things are still wonky or crazy or don't make sense and they're not adding up. And yet, how does this work? I mean, how do we, how do we navigate this life? How do we navigate the challenges, the, the issues, the things that my decisions my parents made, decisions my friends made, the decisions I made? How do we navigate all that? And we think that if we just say yes to Jesus, he's going to come in and straighten it all up, put a bow on it, and we're on our way. And actually, it seems to almost do the opposite. How many of you, when at some point in your walk with Jesus, things got more intense instead of getting lighter? Yeah, it fascinated me because we, we paint this picture that following Jesus is a safe one. We give altar calls with this idea of like, man, your life's going to be put in order if you say yes to Jesus. Maybe not the order you're thinking, but there will be some new order. In Galatians, if you want to turn there, I'm gonna, I want you to go to verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 19. We just have a few minutes left here, and we're going we're gonna to run through a few scriptures here that I want to help to frame this and then tie it up at the end. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Let's read that again. My little children, for whom... I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. The word formed actually has two words to describe what formed means. There's one that refers to the external appearance. It's changed. It's formed. It looks differently. The other definition has to do with the internal reality gets formed. The reason why life can be incredibly challenging following Jesus because he's trying to form himself in you. Okay, are you guys with me today? The reason why we submit our life to Jesus and the reason why it can be challenging is because he's getting rid of you that doesn't need to be there anymore. He's getting rid of a choice that you've made that have created this world in you and he wants to form Jesus in you. So this idea of the Holy Spirit coming into our life is it's a powerful moment. It's, it's a sacred moment. There are these moments where you feel the presence of God on your life, but at some point that presence moves from a warm fuzzy to a complete overhaul remodel of everything in your life. So when you come to church, when you come to gather, don't just come for another encounter to feel good about something. That's crucial and important because that's what fathers do. They hug their children. They love their children. But there's also something else I want you to capture today. Jesus wants to form himself in you. And we always pray these prayers, God, change my life. Do whatever you want to do. But when he starts working on areas, we don't want him to do that anymore. To become a man or woman of your word, it takes a long time to prove it. It's amazing. I've had someone come up to me and say, can you pray for patience in my life? And I said, I can't. 
That's one thing I literally cannot give you. There's no way to actually give you patience. It's impossible. I can't go to Gabe right now and say, I'm going to give you my patience. No, because this is mine, and I had to work 46 years for it. (laughs) And there's no way to take it out of me and give it to him. I can tell him what I've learned. I can give him my journey, my steps. But he's going to need 40-something years to get to that point, whatever point that may be. So it's funny, we ask things that really just need Jesus to do the work he wants to do. So if you pray for revelation from God, you better pray for patience. Because the revelation from God needs a bedrock of patience. The revelation from God needs a strength that can carry weight. Revelation from God actually needs a foundation that is able to sustain it. So this idea of Christ being formed in us is this idea that parts of us are going to die. This is a very attractive message. I understand that. The book of Galatians is a fascinating chapter. Paul wrote this letter to a a region, a a group of churches in the region of Galatia. And this is roughly 20 or so years after Jesus died. So this, a couple decades later, Paul is now on the scene. He had planted churches. He's ignited churches. He is considered an apostolic father to these churches. And he spent his whole life traveling around as a missionary and as an apostle and as a pastor, as a shepherd. The guy was doing a lot. And so he is now going around. And he, at the beginning of this letter in Galatians, he makes this statement, chapter 1, verse 8, if you want to take notes. He said, if anyone else comes to you and teaches you a different gospel than what I've taught, from you, taught you in the beginning, curse that person. It's a fascinating statement. And then he says, if anyone, including myself, Paul, come to you and tell you a different gospel than what I told you X amount of years ago, kick me out. Isn't that interesting? That's such a bold and somewhat mysterious reality behind that statement. Why would you even threaten yourself with what you taught them? Because Paul understood human nature. He understood human nature, and the gospel of grace and human nature are a hard thing to combine. In fact, they can't be combined unless you submit. This idea of moving from bondage to freedom, I have found it fascinating why we as humans always want to stay in bondage, even though freedom is obviously the better option. It's funny, we read the nation of Israel going from, the, from Egypt to the promised land, and in the middle of the face called wilderness. And we can never figure out why. How come they wouldn't go to the promised land? It's so easy on the outside to pick apart someone else's decisions. But there's something in us. So we have to ask the question, why is it challenging for us to let go of bondage to move into freedom? It comes down to this. You're not in control. It comes down to the reality of we always want to be in control of the outcomes. It's so challenging for us as human to not be in charge of the outcomes. It's so complex. We want to be in charge of our life. In fact, the areas that we're struggling with in our life the most are the ones we're the most in control of. 
So right now, let me address a few. If you are scared of your finances, you don't want to relinquish control. If you are scared about the outcome of your finances, you will have more control over it than let it go. If you are scared about your relationship with your spouse, guess what you usually do? You get it more in control. You put your hand on it more. If you are scared of your children doing things that you don't want them to do, guess what most parents do? They control their children more. This is what we do as humans is we want to control the outcome. So we don't move to freedom if we can't be in control. And Jesus is not so much teaching us how to change the external world. He's trying to teach us how to change the internal world so that oppressors can slap us and punch us, but we are living in peace. This is what he's teaching us. He's teaching us to never think lack. You may be in lack on the outside. You may have nothing, but it doesn't mean you have to live that way. It doesn't mean you have to think that way. It doesn't mean you have to be completely up in arms because you have lack on the outside. Because on the inside, you have everything. This is what Jesus is teaching us. And this is what Paul is saying here. If someone comes and tells you a different gospel than what I've told you, kick them out, curse them out, and then he ups the ante. He says, if an angel comes, I don't understand this one. This one's beyond my understanding. If an angel comes and tells you something different than what I told you, curse the angel. That is a mystery that I still don't understand. The point is simple to me. The gospel of Jesus requires you to relinquish control. It requires you. It begs you. It's compelling to let go of the outcome. Maybe that's why they call it faith. I don't know. Go with me to chapter 5. We're going to end on this verse. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You know, it's a tricky thing once you've stepped into freedom. It's a tricky thing. And Paul is dealing with this in the book of Galatians. He said, listen, guys, I know that you've let go of bondage and death and you've moved into freedom and life. But there was a problem. They were beginning to say, we no longer have a set of rules to tell us what to do. Prior to this, prior to the gospel, and prior to Paul's teachings, there was something called the law. The law originated from the Ten Commandments, but over the course of time, it became this exhaustive list of rules and regulations through the religious systems. You literally could not do most things in life without a list of regulations instructing you how to do it. The reason why the law was instituted, and Paul addresses it in the Galatians, he says, because you need to know that you can't actually do it. The challenge is, so now we have an entire generation of people that live before the cross, and now they live after the cross. Imagine being in that spiritual reality. You follow law, and then someone comes along and says, guess what? The law is no longer valid. You can stay under it, but you can remove yourself and come over here under the death and the resurrection and freedom of Jesus. To people like, that sounds awesome. No more rules and regulations. The challenge is, because there was nothing telling them what they couldn't do or restricting them, they were doing everything they wanted to do. And if you read the more, more of the chapter, they're talking about all the lust of the flesh in every area that you can imagine. And Paul's saying, time out. 
and he was angry. He was so angry. If you want to get into the meat of Galatians, he was actually telling the men that were teaching them the different gospel, he wished they would cut themselves off their private parts. It's in Galatians. I'm so angry that they came in and bewitched you. They've taught you something that is so far from the I wish they'd cut themselves off. So Paul is passionate. He said, guy, this freedom that you have now found in Jesus is not for your own benefit. It's actually to help you to go beyond and to serve humanity even more than you could before. And Jesus introduced this concept. He said, they say go one mile, I say go two. The law wasn't just a list of don't, it was actually a list of restrictions. So I'm going to end with this. Your freedom that you have found in Christ, one of the smartest things that you can do is aim it at someone else. One of the best things you can do with this freedom you found in Christ isn't to find more excuses to do whatever you want to do. It's to actually find more reason to serve humanity. So why don't you stand? Thanks for listening, and we hope this talk benefits you in every way possible. For more information about Studio, you can go to studiogreenville.com or go to Instagram and look for studio.greenville. We would also love it if you would leave a review and hit those five stars. Other than that, have a great week, and we'll see you soon.